The scripture this morning is from the books of Genesis and Colossians. Hear the word of the Lord. From Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. From Colossians 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here uh, again as we uh, continue our uh, series on giving ourselves away and continue to be a regathered place. And uh, welcome to all of you who are live streaming with us as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we consider his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you so much for your word that you have given it to us, that we might understand you better, that we might come to know the way of salvation and walk in it through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we consider this portion of your word this morning and its implications, which are many, we do pray that you would be the one who would teach us. Holy Spirit, you inspired this word and you dwell in our hearts. We pray that you would be the one who would teach us its truth, but more than that, that you would be at work in us to use it so that we would come to be more like you, that you would transform us, sanctify us by your power. Help us to fall more in love with you, Lord, and to desire all the more to serve you as a result. So with all that in mind, we pray that you would be with us in this moment, these moments, in Christ's name we pray, amen. All righty. Um, you know, it was in the 60s and 70s that space exploration had just begun, and it was heady stuff. Uh, amazing things were happening that had never happened before. People were blasting off into outer space. New words were becoming commonplace, like orbit, and that was before orbit gum or anything even. You know, orbit and space capsule and things like that. I was only 12 at the time. I'm not as old as you think. But I was uh, just 12 at the time, but I remember stepping outside and looking up into the sky and seeing the moon and thinking, there's a couple of guys walking around on it. Most of you here today can't say that you've ever experienced that. It was pretty heady stuff, as I say. The organization that was making all this happen, of course, was NASA, and it was so popular and everyone was talking about NASA in those days. There was a management consulting group that actually went to NASA to research how it was they were doing all of this so successfully. At one point along the way, they came up to a guy in the hallway and they asked him a question. They asked, what is it that you do here? And his answer was classic. He said, I help put men on the moon. He was the janitor. 
<laughs> uh, that shows how NASA had really inculcated to everybody the importance of every worker and the value of what they were doing there. And he understood his contribution, and he realized that he was giving himself away to something larger than himself, that he was, as we put it here at Stonebridge, giving himself away. Today we're continuing our series we started last week on giving ourselves away. This time we're focusing on giving ourselves away in our work. In our work. And by work, I mean whatever it is that you spend most of your time doing. And that's different things for different ones of us. It could mean uh, how you are making a house a home, how you're being a student at school, or how you're an employee at your job, or whatever that might happen to be. But our passage this morning proclaims some of the most important truth for and about human beings there is, and that is that we are created in God's image. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a major way, and particularly in terms of how it impacts what we're defining as work today. So our passage proclaims this important truth, and it uh, is very simply said right there in the first chapter, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That is uh, an amazing truth uh, about us, that we are made in his image, and that's every human being. John Lennox, who is a uh, mathematician at Oxford University, has this to say about this truth. He said, you as a human being bear the image of God. The starry heavens show the glory of God, yes, but they are not made in God's image. You are. That makes you unique. It gives you incalculable value. The galaxies are unimaginably large compared with you. However, you know they exist, but they don't know that you exist. You are more significant, therefore, than a galaxy. Or as others have put it, God don't make no junk. Now that's bad grammar, but I think you get the point that's being made. But this dignity, this status that is given, given to us has amazing implications in so many ways. Uh, from everything from uh, medicine to crime and punishment to education, yes, to abortion. But today we're going to consider its implications for our work. Again, whatever it is you spend most of your time doing, whatever that is for you. For notice what God, what God goes on to say in the very next thing said in Genesis chapter 1. Right after saying he's going to make us in his image, he explains why he is making us in his image. Listen to this. Going back to where we started, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, here's the reason, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And he goes on to say in regard to the Garden of Eden in chapter 2 of Genesis, he says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Notice the verbs that are in these couple of passages here. Rule, subdue, work, take care of. There's an awful lot of debate about what it means that we are in the image of God. In other words, people wonder, now, are we in the image of God? Is that because we're rational beings? Or maybe it's because we have a soul and other animals don't? And, you know, a lot of de a debate about that. But it's clear what we do because we are made in God's image. 
We represent him. We rule, we take care of the whole world on God's behalf. And that's not just for gardeners and farmers, that's for all of us in everything that we do in making this world run. In other words, we're large and in charge, you could say. Except it's God's world, of course, that we're large and in charge of. And uh, so we're to work, and we're to work it according to his pleasure, for his glory, and in his power. Now some of you, if we're honest, might be thinking, well, that's some privilege that I get to work, right, for God? But that's because the world has given work a bad name. I would submit that work is not a four-letter word. I mean, of course, literally it is. But, you know, in that other sense we say about four-letter words, work is not a four-letter word in that sense. Too often we've come to think of work as, as drudgery, as grinding toil that saps our strength, saps the life out of us. Uh, for instance, if someone describes a task that you don't particularly like doing, you might say, well, that sounds like work. Wow. Um, to Ruth's chagrin, that's how I feel about gardening. <laughs> now, Ruth loves it. She loves to get down in her, on her hands and knees in the dirt with a digger, and she loves even pulling up the weeds, digging up the stumps, although that's usually my job there. Uh, but she loves to shape a plot of ground, plant the seeds, and watch it grow. She loves it. To me, it sounds like work in that bad sense of the word. But really, we need to stop thinking of work in those terms and thinking of it like that. As I said, while I'm not so much into gardening, Ruth loves it. To her, it's not work in the bad sense. It's work in that good sense, the work that God has given her to do, work in the right sense. Listen to this quote from Tim, Tim Keller. That print's a little small. I'll read it, though, of course, for you. But there he says, look at your gifts, the things you're good at doing. Look at the things you love to do, your capacities, your interests. These aren't just accidents. That's not random happening. That's a call. In other words, all those things and where they intersect, that's a call from God. And the more you can have that call in your work be the same thing, the more you're going to rejoice and be happy in your work, which is God's intent. And of course, Ruth's work in that sense produces some wonderful, beautiful things. These flowers like that that's in her garden right now. And the yumminess of fresh tomatoes like we've had this week and herbs and various things like that. That's Ruth. Uh, fulfilling her call, doing her work unto the Lord. All of this, though, is confirmed by what Paul says, his admonition in Colossians, which uh, Sarah Lynn read earlier for us. Whatever you do, whatever you do, your work, as we've defined it earlier, included in everything else, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, given our work as we're defining it today is what you spend most of your time doing, work is likely the biggest and maybe the most significant way that you give yourself away for God's glory, just because of the time factor, if nothing else. But we don't just give ourselves away while we're at work. We even are to give ourselves away in and through the work itself, the work that God has given us to do. Bottom line, we give ourselves away through our work. So the implications for this truth that we are made in God's image so that, all the rest, 
The implications of all this for our work are many, but we're going to focus on just a few today, uh, particularly on how it should affect our attitudes towards our work, as well as how we do our work. So let's go through and just touch on a, a few implications, as I say, of that. For one, you no longer need to work to prove something. You don't have to prove anything through your work anymore in light of this. Now, many of us, if we're honest, we will have to admit that through our work, we're trying to prove something. Maybe trying to prove something to other people, maybe trying to prove something to ourselves that we have significance, that we are somebody. Think of how conversations go when you meet someone for the first time. The first thing you say, you exchange names. Hi, my name is so-and-so. What's your name? And then you exchange that. And then the very next question is almost invariably what? What do you do? We're trying to gauge how significant you are, how important you are, how much I might want to spend time getting to know you. Now, if you're a brain surgeon or a fighter pilot, without hesitation and proudly, you say what you do. If you're a pastor, you try to come up with something different to make it sound better than it really is. <laughs> like, I'm in human betterment or something crazy like that. Why? Because we believe, because the world has taught us to believe that we work to establish our worth, that we work to establish our identity, that we work to establish our significance. But the world has it backwards. We don't work to establish our significance. We work because we already have significance. We've been created in God's image. The work that we do is the work he has given you to do to care for his world on his behalf. That is significance. We work because we already have significance. So, folks, live out of the dignity and respect God has already given you. Be free from trying to prove yourself to anybody, even yourself. You know, it's, it's this kind of mistake, thinking that we work to get our significance, we're trying to prove that we have significance, that uh, when we lose jobs, and boy, that's happened a lot lately, right, with furloughs and things like that going on in the world today. Uh, talked to someone just today that was, uh, fi have found out that they're losing their job soon. That's bad news, don't get me wrong there at all. We're not to be giddy about losing a job by any stretch. But if you think your job is what gives you significance and you lose it, then you're devastated then you don't think you have any worth anymore. Don't do that to yourself. You have significance because you are made in the image of God. So that's one, we no longer have to work to prove anything. A second thing is this. Your work, whatever it is as we've defined it today, is a holy enterprise, a holy enterprise. Now what does holy mean? Holy means uh, anything that is devoted to God or belongs to God or is done to God or for his sake. That is holy. Your work, whatever that is, is a holy enterprise. Listen to this quote from Dorothy Sayers. Uh, she was uh, a friend of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and many of those folks back in that day. She wrote an essay called Why Work that uh, is pretty impressive. Uh, here's a quote from that. She says, it's the business of the church to recognize that the secular vocation as such is sacred. And what she's really saying is there's no such division between secular and sacred here. Christian people must get it firmly into their heads that when a man or woman is called to a particular job of secular work, and again, for our purposes today, whatever your work is, a particular job of secular work, that is as true a vocation as though he or she were called to specifically religious work. He must be able to serve God in his work 
And the work itself must be accepted and respected as the medium of divine creation. In other words, it's part of what God has put into the fabric of the universe at the creation, making us in his image to do his work. So there's no secular sacred divide. If we had been created by God in his image to rule and take care of the world, and everything we do is to be done in the name of Jesus Christ, as Colossians says, then it's not just people like me, a pastor, who are working for the Lord. You are too, in whatever your endeavor is. As a bumper sticker I saw years ago, stuck with me ever since, uh, this bumper sticker said, I work for a Jewish carpenter. <laughs> That's a pretty neat idea to me at least, and it ought to make a lot of difference in terms of how we work, at least in a couple of ways, and here's, here's a couple of those. First off, we do our best for the Lord. If we really understand that what we are doing is as unto God, then we want to do it to the best of our ability, don't we? Here's another quote from Dorothy Sayers uh, from the same essay. She says, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? <laughs> the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter, for example, is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. <laughs> or to go back to that prior statement, if God don't make no junk, then neither should we. But uh, think about this. This just occurred to me this week. You know, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus began his ministry when he was 30 years old. What was he doing before then? He was a carpenter, speaking of carpenters. And don't we imagine that, of course, his work as a carpenter was done to the glory of God and is unto the Lord as well. He wasn't wasting his life before he started his ministry. So all of that says if we're carpenters, we make good tables or we make uh, dressers that have drawers that really slide out without catching and stuff like that. If you're an accountant, you, we produce accurate reports that really help management make good decisions. If you're an artist, we reflect the truth and beauty of God's world in the art that we do. Basically in everything, we strive to do it to the best of our ability. Now we all have different gifts and abilities, different talents, if you will, different levels of talents. But all of us would be doing it to the best of our ability with the time and resources available to us and doing it all to God's glory as we work unto him. It's a holy enterprise. We want to do it to the best of our ability. One last thing here is how we do our work then is we treat everyone with dignity. We do our work treating everyone else with the dignity they deserve because they too are created in God's image just like us. This means we don't look on our colleagues as servants to abuse for our career advancement or rivals to beat for the promotion that's ahead of us or people that only have as much value as they are able to help us get a job done or to advance our career again. But as fellow laborers working alongside us, taking care of God's world, even if they don't realize that's what they're doing, it means employees are treated fairly and paid fairly. It means bosses are obeyed and treated with respect, even when we disagree with them. And customers are seen as people, people we serve with whatever product or service we're providing, rather than just seeing them as a big bankroll to drain as much as we possibly can. Now, some of you might be wondering, what difference does all this really make? 
Shouldn't we all just get about our business like always, doing what we do, get a good education, get a job, maybe get married, make a lot of money, maybe have some kids, retire and then die like everybody else? What difference does this really make? What is it about giving ourselves away at our work? How could this perspective really make a difference? Well, I'd say it might make all the difference as between Bedford Falls on the one hand and Pottersville on the other. Some of you know where I'm going with this? Yes, the weather, if not the calendar, tells us it's only 96 days until Christmas. Woohoo! Can't get an amen about that at all, I guess. Okay. Um, even sooner, you'll be watching all those Christmas movies you love. And the, one of the classics, of course, one of the favorites is It's a Wonderful Life. Now, while this is a Christmas movie, no doubt, you could also think of it as the difference it makes between good investment banking and bad investment banking. Think about it. It's the difference between banking that focuses uh, on giving itself away versus banking that's only about the money, only about soaking the customer for all they're worth. Now, uh, I don't think I have to issue a spoiler alert here or anything. Most of us have already seen It's a, good, it's a Wonderful Life, I believe. But uh, think about it. Remember, George Bailey is given the privilege, and he's a banker of the building and loan there in Bedford Falls. He's given the privilege, if you want to call it that, of seeing what his life would have been like or what the town's life would have been like if he had never been born, if he had never existed. Now, granted, much of the difference, which is amazing, it was due to his uh, personal impact on certain people, like his wife, his brother, the town pharmacist, if you remember that situation and all. But George sees the difference he made as a banker the moment he walked back into town. For the town that was once named Bedford Falls, that once had modern, affordable housing, people who were making it, people who were living in their own homes and working their own jobs, who had been given a second chance by George and the building and loan that he led, a town that had civic pride and cared about one another, that town, without George, had become Pottersville. Now, it became Pottersville because Mr. Potter was the guy who ran the other bank in town. And without George at the building and loan, without him, Potter basically came to own the whole town and had it named after him. And it was now Pottersville. He ran the other bank, the only bank in town now without George. And to say that he was dishonest, that he only cared about money and only cared about himself is an understatement. One of the bad guys in all of moviedom. <laughs> But with his bank as the only bank, Bedford Falls turned into a town with sleazy entertainment, rampant crime, people who were hardened and only out for themselves. Okay, now you might say maybe this movie's over the top. Maybe that's a, a real gross exaggeration, but is it? Is it an exaggeration to say there's that much difference between people in their work giving themselves away versus Pottersville? Haven't we seen enough? Haven't we seen enough of the results of Potterville practices in our own times, in our own world today? Businesses, governments, political parties, even churches, who as it turns out, individuals as well, of course, who are in them, who are in it only for their own advancement, who are in it only for the money, no matter what damage it does to others, or who work merely as functionaries who don't really care about the job itself or you either. 
I think we've seen plenty of that. Back to our NASA janitor. He had said that he helped put men on the moon. That's a far better answer than I clean toilets for sure. But as Christians, we can do one better even. We could say that we, and I say we because it's the church we're talking about here. All of us individually, of course, too, but it's the church, Stonebridge and the capital C church as well. We gather up on a Sunday, but then we leave all together and go out into the world. That's why we have the sign outside that says, when you leave the parking lot, now give yourselves away. We do it when we come and gather at the church too. We need Sunday school teachers and all the rest, for sure, to make the church run. But again, if work is what we spend most of our time doing, now when you leave the parking lot really is the time to give ourselves away. And we can say truly, we are made in the image of God who created the heavens and the earth. And he has had us put in charge to take care of it for him. We all have our different spheres of influence. We all have our specific ways we put this into practice, and we all have our different gifts and abilities. But we all have our work to do, and may God grant us his power, his wisdom, his strength to do everything in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what indeed a, what a compliment that we would be considered to be made in your image. Heavenly Father, that is uh, something that seems way above what we deserve, and yet it's what your word says, and it's true. Lord, we thank you for that and for the opportunity and the privilege and responsibility that comes with uh, being your stewards to run the world, in a sense, on your behalf. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have uh, failed to do that well, uh, that we have done it for our own advancement and rather than your glory. Father, renew us, enable us to see the great opportunity we have to give ourselves away in our work. Thank you for how, Lord Jesus, you gave yourself away for us in such an amazing way. We want to be like you. We want to be followers of you. And Lord uh, Jesus, as you came, and it was your food to do the Father's will while you were here, Lord, we want it to be ours as well. Inspire and enable us to do that through your power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.